Content found on the bestdayever.com from David Wolf and New Horizon Health Inc. is for informational purposes only and is in no way intended as medical advice, as a substitute for medical counseling, or as treatment cure for any disease or health condition, and nor should it be construed as such because that would be illegal. Always work with a qualified health professional before making any changes to your diet, supplement use, prescription drug use, lifestyle, or exercise activities. Please understand that you assume all risks from the use, non-use, or misuse of this information. Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Rebecca Gauthier, and I will be emceeing the upcoming Women's Wellness Conference, which is hosted by best-selling author and nutrition expert David Wolf. The event is taking place Friday, September 19th through Sunday, September 21st at the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa, California. I have on the line with me now one of the featured speakers of the event, Dr. Roy Dittman, who's the author of The Most Comprehensive Guide to Preparing Your Body for a Healthy Baby, and that title is The Brighton Baby. He'll be taking the stage during the weekend and discussing important female health topics. Hi, Dr. Dittman. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Good afternoon, Rebecca. It's great to be here again with you. Okay, so many of our listeners have requested that we cover the subjects of fertility and conception, which of course are two huge topics of conversation. So let's start off with fertility. What are some do's and don'ts for any woman who wants to get pregnant in, say, her 20s, her 30s, and even her 40s? That's a really good question these days. There's so many blind spots. But in general, say the top 10 things I would say to avoid uh, preconception for both mother and father because there's more and more research showing that the father's part is extremely important um, is to reduce carbohydrates, sugars, you know, simple sugars, processed foods in general and any foods that you're sensitive or allergic to as well. That's very important because all those things create massive inflammation, more infections in the body and those are all conducive to brain encephaly which is really what autism is. And by the way, I, I love you know, doing these interviews with you, Rebecca, because you and David Wolf are like the biggest party in town, so to speak. It's it's so much fun going to your conferences because I'm speaking to an audience who already knows the basics about food and diet. So we're kind of speaking to the choir here. I just want to acknowledge that. And it's it's so much fun working with you guys because people already get this stuff. They're already well-educated and knowledgeable around, uh, around what to eat and what not to eat. With that said, you know, other things that... uh that are important are like soy, soy ingredients. Organic soy lecithin is okay, by the way. It doesn't contain any soy. The reason why is for one, soy has um, phytates in it, which uh, bind to zinc in the body. And we can see very clearly that people with Lyme's disease in the blood and also children with autism have a high copper to zinc ratio, which we'll go into a little bit later, but also because soy is often from GMOs, almost always, unless it says organic. But nevertheless, I think uh, soy is also problematic because it's very estrogenic as well. And that also drives infection in the body and tumor growth and all kinds of other problems. Number three is wheat, of course. We all know about gluten-free diets and gliadin, uh, these cause massive gut inflammation, which is not much different than brain encephaly. I think like whatever's going on in the gut is going on with the brain, pretty much. 
And then four would be non-organic foods, GMO, glyphosate, um, these kinds of uh, new pesticides, which are very advanced pesticides, are getting into our food chain. That's why people are becoming more and more um, wary of these kinds of foods and demanding labeling of these foods because they are linked to severe disorders like autism now, like kidney diseases, like severe brain encephaly, gut disorders, leaky gut. And the newest research from Dr. Stephanie Seneff from MIT shows that, in fact, uh, glyphosate blocks the uh, absorption of critical elements like manganese, zinc, and iron, which are very important for the baby's growth and development. So definitely want to avoid GMOs if you're about to get pregnant, and especially for the man, because the the glyphosate doesn't hitchhike on the sperm so much as it actually carries the damage done by the glyphosate to the sperm. Then yeah. if you, we look at number five, would be diet sodas, sugar-free uh, foods, uh, artificial sweeteners like aspartame, uh, sucralose, saccharin. These are actually, some of these things were, were tested lab, in the laboratories and shown to be so toxic uh, that they killed insects. And uh, indeed, you can do experiments with these things and see how efficient they are at killing insects. Um, it's not, I don't think it's suitable for human consumption. I don't know how it ever got approved by the FDA, except that it was um, chaperoned through, you might say, by certain political politicians, but mm-hmm. uh, who got rewards. But I don't, those, those kinds of uh, artificial sweeteners are very dangerous to the developing embryological brain. Um, number six, grain-fed dairy. So if you are going to have dairy, um, dairy is important, especially because it has the kinds of fats that are needed to create the good kind of cholesterol to create the hormones that are critical for the baby's fetal brain development. So organic milk is often grain-fed unless you read otherwise. So try to get the, um, the kind of milk that's uh, grass-fed. I think it makes a major difference, but not just grass-fed in a dry climate, but grass-fed in a wet climate. So I prefer things that are grown in places where you know they're kind of wet, Northern California more so, you know, Ireland, places where, you know, they actually have green grass all the time. Just going back to number six for a moment, what would you suggest for vegan? Some listeners are vegan, and so for them, animal products are not an option because of what they believe in. So do you have any suggestions for what a vegan could do? Well, right. That's why I I have a chapter in my book about people who are vegetarian and vegan. What's the ideal thing? I myself, I think that vegans and vegetarians are really some of the most wonderful people on the planet because they, they really get how important it is for the environment. They get how important it is to be compassionate to animals. There's um, just a lot of research that shows it's not a good idea these days because if you have deficiencies of minerals, you have deficiencies of certain fats that you can't get in plants, I just I do discourage it these days. With that said, though, if someone is going to be vegan or vegetarian, um, they're, they're different. I, I do say, you know, here, because I know the blind spots, I know how to how to compensate a little bit for that. And one thing I suggest is um, is that for vegans that they consider using a lot of ocean algae extracts, um, more uh, a lot of 
good oils that are, uh, you know, coconut oil, um, saturated oils, the, sat- the good kind of saturated fats, because the saturated fats bind the uh, PUFAs, the polyunsaturated fatty acids, which cause lots of free radical damage. Now, for the vegetarians and lacto-ovo vegetarians, that's a different case because they can have dairy, they can sometimes do eggs and so forth. But I, th- I think that veganism is a great diet for monks, and I was one for 10 years, and I think it's, it really helped me to be more clear and out of my body, so to speak, for a lot. But when it comes to having babies, I don't recommend it these days. There's more and more research uh, piling up which says that it's quite dangerous and contributing to autism because of now... Part of it is because many of the early vegans were using too much rice and soy in their diet. Now many vegans are getting wiser, and so I I recommend that they eliminate rice and soy from their diet. Not entirely, but not too much of it. Rice is very glycemic, so it raises your blood sugar, and that's what you see in places where they eat a lot of rice. They have a lot of diabetes, and that's not healthy for a developing fetus to have blood sugar imbalances. Mm-hmm. But in general, I recommend also that they get tested, get their their blood tested and their hair tested and the urine, and you can see a lot where the deficiencies are. And then if you can see what the deficiencies are in the mineral balances, you can compensate for some of those things by uh, taking more fermented foods so you're digesting the elements you do have uh, efficiently. But the biggest problem I see in vegan diets, I can pretty much look at someone's blood and hair and see right away whether they're vegan or not. And the 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 defining factor is they usually have low phosphorus. So the calcium to phosphorus ratio is usually off. And that's why they have so many problems with their teeth rotting or teeth falling apart. Because it's not just the bone density, but the bone pliability um, that is affected negatively. And it causes premature aging, basically. Um and you can yeah. see this in women who are in the perimenopausal area, that mm-hmm. it really affects them because they don't have the hormones, uh, because they don't have the required fats. So I generally, you know, it's one of those things where I don't like to be against it because I, I totally get where they're coming from. And they're really amazing people who have great compassion. At the same time, well, I discourage it. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because... I was a very strict vegan prior to uh, conceiving my daughter, and when my husband and I made the decision to have a child, and you and I have discussed this before, we practiced conscious conception, and we knew the exact date that our daughter was conceived. Leading up to that, I just was checking in with my body and really listening to what it wanted, and I started to incorporate a little bit of animal product into my diet, and then, of course, upon uh, becoming pregnant, I began eating eggs and also I started eating fish, which I had not eaten fish or meat for many, many years. And the fish was as far as I was willing to go in in the animal food chain. I never did eat any meat, but to me, it was just a testament on what my body needed. And I just had to sort of give over that environment to my unborn child and say, okay, this is what you want. This is what you need. Then I'm going to give you this nutritional profile that you're asking for. And I felt from a consciousness point of view, very comfortable with doing that. And then once my daughter was born and I was nursing her, I continued to eat some animal products in my diet because again, it was she who needed it nutritionally. So To anyone who's vegan or vegetarian or neither, I think the most important thing to think about is 
your unborn child and, and what that child needs and go with your instincts, go with your gut. And they might not be the choices that you'd necessarily have made for yourself, but it's for the person, you know, the being growing in your body and, and they need different nutrients than perhaps you feel you need. So that was my whole take on that thing. And what you're saying, I feel, is very much in line with that as well. Well, very well said, Rebecca. I I had very similar experience when I was about to have my first child. I instinctively started con- reconsidering everything. And I had already seen so many really disastrous pregnancies, having treated so many gurus. I, I, I used to treat gurus for free, and it was just part of my service. And I got to see so many of the devotees in these spiritual communities um, having uh, severe problems. And that really concerned me. So I thought maybe I should put my, my own beliefs or habits aside and reconsider. One of the things that my colleagues in the, in the naturopathic and oriental medicine and holistic medicine world have you know, looked at very closely that all of us were vegetarians to begin with, actually, and uh, all of my close friends. And um, one of the things we've considered is that um, we found that most people who are vegetarian or vegan have very weak digestion. And so it's very interesting. We found that the olfactory senses, that a huge part of your digestion, your digestion really begins with looking at food with your sight, with your smell, and even um, with your senses. It's a very sensual experience eating. And uh, indeed, what we discovered was that if the digestion is weak, your your body sends you a signal and you literally will get nauseous if you can't digest those fats. So we find that people who uh, tended towards vegetarian diets could not digest fats, could not digest proteins properly. For whatever reason, maybe the gut bacteria was off or maybe their liver was congested or they had weak pancreatic or spleen function or digestive enzymes in the stomach. We found that, um, you know, even the parotid gland might be congested in the mouth um, and salivary functions. So this whole area of digestion begins in the mouth and then ends in the colon. It's very complex. And we found that as, as we strengthened our digestion, actually the reverse became true. They craved meat. They craved dairy. They craved all these different things that they could never digest before. And so that's just a little interesting factoid there um, that people who were just absolutely repulsed by it, we found that the olfactory senses were sending a signal to their brain saying, don't eat this, you can't digest it. Wow, that's interesting. Does that have anything to do with what women crave during pregnancy? Or is that like a separate issue? Very good. I mean, brilliant. Absolutely. It's exactly right. When when women crave things, it's because they have deficiencies and is what we've discovered. So we, you know, when, when people come to, to my clinic for fertility counseling, I don't like to say, I don't like to do infertility. I don't like that word infertility, but I say I do fertility. I do natural fertility. I don't do infertility because we don't like to force pregnancy. We like to say, look, let's listen to what your body is trying to tell you now. And there must be a reason why you're not getting pregnant or why your fa- your your husband or your partner also is not conceiving. It could be from either one. Let's look at see what's happening first, what's occurring. And what we usually find is right away when we test people, we can usually see right away why they're not getting pregnant. Not only that, by why they shouldn't get pregnant right now. So it's a good thing. Almost 
you know, I would say 90% of the time I test people, I can see right away why they should not get pregnant. Either they have, they're loaded with heavy metals like mercury or they have really high copper or their digestion is not working. You know, they would have a nightmare, morning sickness and pregnancy and the birth outcomes are difficult or preeclampsia. You can kind of predict what kind of pregnancy they're going to have. Or they have severe endocrine imbalances, you know, thyroid insufficiencies, adrenal insufficiencies. You know, those kinds of things can be uh, corrected. But what I like to start with is people being just authentic with themselves saying, you know, let's find out what's happening first. I mean, the other other things like that I would recommend, uh, a few more other things I would recommend to avoid are like smoked and cured meats, like things with nitrates, nitrites, erythroborates, fried foods, rancid oxidized oils, foods that contain M MSG and hidden MSG, like an autolyzed yeast extract. It can be under other names. And then number 10 would be grain-fed beef, chicken, eggs, corn, soy, you know, things that have glyphosate in it. It's so critical. I think, especially buying eggs now that I eat them, to really look at the labeling. And I go to the farmer's market and get the eggs, and they tell you exactly what they feed the chicken because a lot of them are being fed soy. So then you're inadvertently getting that soy in your diet, which is most likely genetically modified. Yes, exactly. And now what are some of the do's? Well, some of the do's are, I like to start with really everything that we are as human beings we want to encourage. I, there's so much uh, emphasis in our society on technology, mat materialistic and mechanistic kind of view of medicine and science. And I, you know, I like to push back from that a little bit. I was raised in an environment in a commune in the 60s. My, my dad is a nuclear scientist and I got to meet a lot of famous people, you know, like Buckminster Fuller and Alan Watts and Philip K. Dick and, you know, very famous philosophers and researchers. And they used to tell me over and over again, you know, by the time you grew up, Roy, you know, I was like seven years old or eight, they would tell me these things. And they'd say, you know, it's going to be a very different world. I mean, there could be robots and androids and we'll have robot, we'll have human androids and they'll have, you know, there'll be this singularity where the, the, the you know, machines merge with human intelligence and computer intelligence. And, um, and they said, you know, you know, when you grow up, be sure and to, to warn people about that because we must, we must have a good science, but we want to have an integral or integrative view of science where science serves us, where science serves humanity rather than that we become slaves of science and materialism. I think that that's the critical lesson of our times because now we have drones overhead, we have artificial insemination technologies, IVFs, and there's nothing wrong with doing that once in a while. It's just, and there's a pluses and minuses to that. But we want, we want to make sure that it doesn't get to the point where science is our overlord, our science is ruling over us. We become subjects of materialism and this mechanistic model. And we're at that precipice now that we were warned about back then. And so what I'm leading to is that I think, you know, with conception, although we can talk about supplements and we can talk about superfoods and those are all great, we want to think about that it's not just chemicals. We're not just chemical bodies. I, I like to start with true love. I think that when people are in an enlightened state, when you truly fall in love, everybody knows that that's like the perfect environment to have a baby in. And that's why there's things like agreements between couples. They make 
they make uh, lifelong agreements to raise these child, these children or that tra- their child. And it also starts with, you know, your immediate environment, you know, your family, your, your home, your air, your water, the thoughts you have, your emotions, your happiness, and your being authentic with oneself. So I say to people, I said, first start with being authentic with yourself. That's easy. And they say, well, how do I start doing that? I said, well, just sit in a room by yourself and just be with yourself. Don't try to do anything. Don't try to be anything other than just listen to your own mind and thoughts and just allow yourself to not be attached to your thoughts. But just just ask yourself, who am I? What am I doing here? What is the purpose for my life? And what do I want kind of a life do I want to bring into this world? Now, people do that, then they usually arrive at the same conclusion, that they want to bring an extraordinary baby into this world. And then they, they start then saying, well, how do I do that? And then once they start asking that question, then they're ready to see me. <laughs> then I say, okay, now let's talk, because now you're ready. Because the main thing we want to do is get the word out to as many parents as possible. And, you know, the work you guys are doing at uh, women's wellness conferences are just amazing. I'm always so lit up and inspired to uh, hear the speakers and to be in that space because the people are so positive and happy and healthy and they already get it. (laughs) We're particularly proud of this year's lineup, which of course includes yourself, and you'll be covering topics related to female health. We also have Dr. Bruce Lipton, Marianne Williamson, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Lisa Rankin. It really is quite an extraordinary lineup this year, and we're thrilled to have you be a part of the event once again. And for those of you who have been listening, please come to the Women's Wellness Conference. See Dr. Roy Dittman live on our stage as he covers these important health topics, and he'll also be around during the weekend. And I highly recommend that you pick his brain because as you can see, he's an expert on so many aspects of health in general, but also, of course, women's health and then fertility and preconception. So come to the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa, California, Friday, September 19th through Sunday, September 21st. There's going to be hundreds of longevity enthusiasts from all around the world. And Dr. Dittman, this year we have people from Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, We have someone coming all the way from Kazakhstan. (laughs) So it's going to be quite a diverse audience. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and help our listeners learn a little bit more about what they can do to stack the odds in their favor to have a healthy baby. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca. It's always great to talk with you. 